In one of his recent books, Irish poet and theologian Padraig Otama writes, to tell a story well is to see wisely. Indeed, a well-told story can broaden vision. But we can never tell the whole story, even though we all likely know someone, but not in this room, of someone pretty bent on trying. By their very nature, stories are partial in every sense of that word. But good stories are so tantalizing, I think precisely because they are partial and particular. Well-told stories make good companions. They create longing within us. In the same way a good appetizer arouses our senses in anticipation of a meal, or a movie trailer makes us want to see the entire movie, well-told stories connect us to ourselves in unexpected ways, and they take us to places we would likely not travel to alone. In so doing, these stories have the capacity to form our appetites, shape our vision, and recruit our bodies. We tend to live out of the stories we have come to believe most. Because I am standing in a pulpit, I probably don't need to confess that I think that there is a lot at stake in the way that we tell God stories. Albeit, partially and imperfectly, our theological stories attempt to say something true about God in order that we might form the longings of our hearts and the actions of our lives after God's. In this way, theology works in hope that we might live more alive to God in Christ, no longer granting sin and death dominion over us, as Paul says in his letter to the Romans this morning. But walking into the newness of life granted to us by our baptisms is a lot harder to do than it is to talk about at least for me. My observations of humans attempting to live faithfully in covenant with God seem most closely to follow the trajectory of Sarah and Abraham's journey from our Old Testament reading. Partial and imperfect, wonderful and wayward, filled with longing, sometimes longings misplaced. While it is a familiar story to most of us and often taught to children in Sunday school classrooms, Phyllis Tribble calls the overlapping stories of Hagar and Sarah and Abraham texts of terror. She does for a reason. These are horrific stories of abuse and violence. Even in their partiality, they are hard to stay with. Yet stay with them, we must. These and other stories in the Bible, like them, remind us the task of doing theology also requires that we need not turn away from the terrible realities of this world, lest we also turn away from the God who has particularly joined himself with all those who suffer. Yes. Through our reading from Genesis today is located near the end of Sarah and Abraham's journey, you likely remember that the story starts with God 
calling them to leave their homeland back in Genesis 12. Along with this call, God promises to bring them to a new land and to make their descendants as numerous as the stars. God even specifies that they will be blessed in order that they may be a blessing. God's promise joins with their longing for a family and for a future. Along the way, however, you might also remember that Sarah and Abraham get a little antsy. They end up making a bunch of ill-advised choices to secure the promises God made to them. Abraham passes Sarah off as his sister to seize wealth. Sarah forces her slave Hagar into surrogacy and then physically mistreats her. Somewhere along the way, the gifts of God's blessing became something they thought they had to protect, like a possession. The longing for the promises of God displaced their longing for the purposes, for the person of God. In today's passage, we find yet another instance of their misplaced belonging, their misplaced longing. Concerned that her firstborn son Isaac will have to share his inheritance with Ishmael, Sarah makes an appeal. Cast out this slave woman Hagar with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not inherit along with my son Isaac. Under the veneer of securing Isaac's rightful place in God's covenant, the operative story underlying Sarah's actions is one of scarcity and competition rather than relationship. While Sarah's desire to secure the future of her child is relatable, her active exclusion of Ishmael and Hagar from social and material resources expose the very human temptation to secure our power over and against others rather than to build collective power alongside others. Sarah could have chosen solidarity across difference, but instead she chose separation because of difference, a sin we we in America know all too well. The matter was very distressing to Abraham on account of both his sons, even as God assures Abraham that Ishmael will be taken care of and prospered, God's failure to speak in opposition to Sarah heightens the narrative tension. Theologically, the story gets even more interesting once Hagar returns to the wilderness. Of course, you remember that she had been there before when Sarah's mistreatment of her caused her to flee. There in the wilderness, Hagar encountered the God who sees, the one she named El Roy. And this time, this time in the wilderness, she encounters this God again. After the provisions Abraham gives Sarah or gives Hagar are depleted, Hagar places Ishmael under a bush and moves away from him. She does not want to witness his pain, and she cries out, do not let me look at the death of the child. As she lifted up her voice to God and wept, Hagar offered her deepest longings to God. And herein lies this story's significant wisdom. By pressing into her feelings of anguish and defeat, Hagar exercises agency 
in a moment when she cannot affect a change in her circumstances. She finds a way to act in relationship to her God, a way to act in the midst of her inability to act, and in so doing, she finds a way to stay with the pain and to stay faithful to her God. Through lament, Hagar places her longing and her pain in the hope that is God. God hears Hagar and the voice of the boy from where he was, and the God who hears and the God who sees came to her, saying, what troubles you, Hagar? In other words, tell me your story. Your longing belongs with me. Hagar's movement toward God and God's movement toward Hagar is then matched by God's invitation that she move toward her son. Come, God says. Lift the boy up and hold him fast. Join me in the work of making Ishmael into a great nation. For it is my longing, too, that he live. In offering her longing to God, Hagar joins God in God's own longing. And then the God who sees opens Hagar's eyes to see, too, a well of water, provision, sustenance for the journey, Hagar goes to the water, gives the boy a drink, and God was with the boy as he grew. The story ends. The God Hagar met in the desert causes us to see wisely then how our own longings rightfully belong with God. We offer our longing to God because God is the one who can most faithfully meet us in the pain of our deepest longings and in the work of our restoration. In these painfully restless times, come, God says, offer the subject of your concerns to me. Establish community, tell stories, get in the water and join me in the work of healing and restoration so that you might be more fully alive.